This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear a panel discussion on African American ministry and the PCA. The panel features Kelly Brown, Charles McKnight, and Y. Plummer, connected with the African American Ministries of Mission to North America. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2021 General Assembly. Let's listen as we consider what African American ministry is doing for the PCA. Welcome uh, to um, African American Ministries presentation. It's titled What uh, What AAM is Doing uh, for the PCA and How Can I Help, which is an Good part of the title, but I have a, I think a better title would be AAM Past, Present, and Future, because that's essentially the format of the um, presentation uh, today. I want to introduce the staff. God has blessed us with a staff which he put together in 2020, March of 2020. Isn't that interesting that he would give me a staff of five in 2020 in March? And then we've had most of our meetings on Zoom as a result of, of uh, putting the staff together. So I want to introduce, uh, and, and they'll talk a little bit about themselves, um, uh, Kelly Brown, who is the, our operations uh, manager. She's part of the panel. Now, Howard Brown is the associate coordinator, but he is on sabbatical. He actually set up this seminar, and then he went on sabbatical. So thank you, Howard. Uh, Charles McKnight, who is the interim associate coordinator, who will be one of our panelists. Alex Shipman, who's the pastor of the Village Church, is the African-American Fellowship uh, Coordinator. He is on sabbatical. A lot of my people are on sabbatical. And then uh, Janelle Chavis, who is a communications and content uh, assistant, and she is on maternity leave. So a significant part of our, our group are out on leave of one form or another. Okay, so for the next uh, few minutes, I like it when pastors say for the next few minutes, and what they really mean is 40, 45 minutes to an hour, but we're probably not going to go uh, that long. I want to talk about AAM, past, present, and future. And I will be talking about the past. Kelly will be talking about uh, the present, and Charles is going to be talking about the future, kind of reverse chronological order, if I, could, if I can say that. 
So the past of the AAM, African American Ministry, the idea of an African American ministry was actually started uh, in the 80s with a thing called the Task Force. And the idea back there was to start churches. Uh, whether we like it or not, our churches were not hiring African Americans uh, on staff or senior staff or associate staff uh, back in those days. So they started a ministry uh, called the Task Force in order to plant churches uh, that were going uh, to reach um, uh, African Americans. That uh, the, the, the title of, of movement leader occurred when Jim Bland became a coordinator and he created a number of movement leaders. There was a, his, there is and presently is a Hispanic movement leader, Korean movement leader, Haitian, Portuguese, uh, Native American. Of course, uh, there was an African American movement leader. Uh, Lewis Wilson was the first uh, African-American movement leader, and I think that position uh, developed in around 1996, 1997, and thereabout. And that title was changed to coordinator um, later uh, when I became the coordinator in 2000. And my mission back then, when I started, uh, was to facilitate an indigenous reform movement in the African-American community. And I got that vision from a friend of mine named Carl Ellis, Dr. Reverend Carl Ellis, or is it Reverend Dr. Uh, Carl Ellis, whom I met in 1984. I was brand new to the PCA. I came as a brand new believer in 1981. I came to Reston Presbyterian Church in Reston, Virginia, and I was the only African American uh, person in the room. At the, I, I said, "This is interesting." God saved me at the ripe young age of uh, of 34. Uh, I had resisted going to church all my uh, after I after I left home and went to college, but God, in, with, in his irresistible grace, got me, and he saved me, and he opened my eyes, and he put me in a Presbyterian church, <laughs> and he had me remarry my wife, Shirley Plummer, who I'm remarried uh, after, after my conversion. The pastor convinced me that I needed to reconcile with my wife. So we felt that we had a mission, even from the very beginning, uh, to pursue ministry. But God discipled me for nine years while I was working at IBM. And eventually, I went to seminary. I went to uh, Chesapeake Theological Seminary. And, but I never forgot that mission that, um, that, that Carl Ellis shared with me. He was the only other African-American I had seen a picture of him, and I wanted to meet him. He was in Baltimore. We got together, and we talked all night about what he wanted to see, an indigenous reform movement in the African-American community. And the key word there is reform, because that is the key for why many African-Americans come into the PCA. I've had people come to me and say, well, why, uh, I've become reform, and um, I'm, I don't feel welcome in my church. Is there a place for me uh, in the PCA? Uh, I've had others who are Reformed, and some of them have become Reformed Baptists, and then they became convinced of pedo-baptism, and then they said, well, why? I guess I'm going to become a Presbyterian. So they talked to me, and, 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 um, and I have uh, talked to them about coming into the PCA. So my task originally was to recruit church planters uh, to plant uh, in churches, uh, to plant African-American churches, so we thought. 
but God had a different mission. So even from the beginning, one of my uh, brothers sitting in the back uh, there, Kevin Smith, who planted a church in the Washington, D.C. area in Bowie, Maryland, had the vision of planting an African-American church, but God had a different vision. And so what began to happen is that be, they slowly became multi-ethnic uh, churches as we began to plant. But the vision of planting African-American churches began to change as our churches began to hire African-American, not only uh, as associate and assistant pastors, but as senior pastors as well. And so my recruiting, I went to any place where I can find a person who was reformed. I would go to reformed conferences. I would go to Westminster, went to Reformed Theological Seminary when it was just Jackson and Orlando, and then it began to spread, and I began to go to the other campuses, uh, Covenant Theological Seminary. I even went to Dallas Theological Seminary until they asked me why I was there. And then I said, well, hmm, maybe I don't belong in Dallas. <laughs> Uh, so over the years, although the number of uh, African Americans that have come in and have actually been ordained is over 70, our official count is 54. Back in the day, we used to give people numbers, and people, every, everybody remembered their number. Your number 10 came in, your number 15, and that it just sounded very impersonal, so I stopped numbering people. But our number is 54 uh, to date. And we only constitute, believe it or not, about 1% of the PCA. And we celebrated when we broke the 1% barrier, about 4,900 uh, teaching elders in the PCA. And so we're, we're 54, so we, we are a little over uh, uh, 1%. And the distribution uh, of those pastors uh, are, um, but we have 25 who are senior pastors in churches all over the country, Birmingham, Baltimore, Atlanta, Jackson, Charlotte, Columbia, Maryland, Huntsville, all over the uh, country, primarily uh, in the South, since the uh, PC is primarily located in the South. We have six mission churches that are in various stages of development. Um, Cornelia being uh, in Nashville, uh, a, a church plant of Christ Presbyterian Church, being one of the newest uh, church missions uh, churches. And we have nine associate pastors who are at various churches, again, all over the country, Richmond, Durham, New Haven, uh, all over. Uh, and we have six African-Americans who are heading up uh, Reform University Fellowship uh, missions uh, at various campus, m all of which are historical black college at Delaware State, North Carolina State, Jackson State, Howard University. Um, yay, I smile my mater, so I celebrated when we uh, went to Howard University. Uh, Winston-Salem State and Alabama State. And so they serve in those capacities as campus ministers. And we also have a number of our teaching elders who are not necessarily pastors, but serving in various ministries, like the Institute for Cross-Cultural Mission, where Irwin Ince is, uh, Baltimore Antioch Leadership Mission, Stan Long, I thought I saw Stan in there, but maybe I didn't, uh, at Reform University Fellowship on staff there at uh, RTS, uh, Carl Ellis and Karen Aaron Ellis are there, Covenant Seminary, and we have a number of, uh, of chaplains. So African Americans have served at various levels and all kind of levels in the PCA, including um, a moderator, Irwin Ince. 
And historically, it's been a one-man show. I have done this since 2000, and everything changed in uh, 2018 when God decided to, he, wa he wanted to increase the staff, and it was God because I like working alone, but God brought someone in uh, as an operations manager by the name of Deneen Blevins, who is uh, pleasantly sitting uh, here among us, and she basically brought organizational structure uh, to the ministry, gave us a web presence, uh, had, had a lot of uh, organizational savvy in terms of vision, mission, and goals and ways uh, to fundraise. We were very excited about Deneen, but then something happened in 2000. Uh, Deneen got uh, this promotion, 20, 2020, and she became the executive director of Paracaleo. And when she took that job, I asked myself the question, now what, Lord, you give me, you set me up, and then you take, you take away my operations manager? But God had a plan. And there was someone else who was uh, also very open uh, to working with us, and her name was Kelly Brown, who became the operations manager. And I had another young man who came up to me in January of 2020 and said, why, you know, I've been, I, I've been thinking, I, I would love to work with you and become uh, the, the coordinator one day. And his name was Howard Brown. And I said, I almost fell out of my chair because I've been talking, I've known Howard for 20 years. And he, he so he's, he's now the associate uh, coordinator. Uh, Alex Shipman has been working with me for a number of years. I met him at a John Piper conference and he has agreed uh, to work with me. And, um, Deneen knew Janelle Chavis, <laughs> who is our communications and content uh, manager or director, and um, he, uh, she recruited her, and she has done an incredible job with, with, with the internet and social media and, and uh, works, uh, works out, of, out of DC. And uh, who am I leaving out? Oh. <laughs> Because Howard is on sabbatical, uh, Charles McKnight has agreed to be the interim associate coordinator, done, has done an incredible job, and he's sitting in for Howard, and I'm hoping that he'll be sitting in for Charles uh, one day. But God increased the staff in March of 2020, and everything shut down. And so we have been meeting primarily by Zoom for over a year. We've only met in person like one time. This is our second meeting. Uh, but God has a way of putting things together uh, for, for, for his glory. And he gets all the glory for this ministry and where we are going. So I am going to let Kelly Brown tell you the story of where we've been since the new staff came on. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Alrighty, so uh, Y and uh, the gentleman has, have introduced me a little bit already, but just to let you guys know, if you don't know me, I have actually uh, been in the PCA, I don't know, 25 some odd years. Um, I know a lot of folks, when you, when you look at the brown skinned people and you look at the husband and he's a TE and you think, oh, his wife must have come with him. Actually, I was here before Howard. Just for the record, okay? Uh, been here for a long time, uh, trained with Howard in church planting with MA 
for years and years, um, came to, uh, went to Redemption Fellowship as assistant pastor, straight out of seminary, Howard did, not me, obviously, um, uh, straight out of seminary in 97, and have been um, at two of the most uh, Significant, I would say, African-American churches in the denomination, Redemption Fellowship being a pioneering black-led middle-class church plant in um, Atlanta, and then um, Forest Park Presbyterian Church. Uh, I think we changed the name, but anyway, uh, Forest Park Church in Baltimore, Maryland, which was the oldest um, black-led African-American church in the denomination. And so we were in Baltimore for a couple and a half years and um, swore up and down we were not going to do church planting. And the Lord said, oh, my blessed children, but I have a plan for your life. (laughs) And so we were called to Charlotte, North Carolina, to plant Christ Central Church in 2004 and have been there ever since. Um, I am a woman shepherd. We have women shepherds at our church. I'm a woman shepherd. And I lead worship. I'm the worship director at Christ Central also. Um, and just uh, very involved with the life of, of Christ Central. He is. I am on sabbatical also from my church. But I'm not on sabbatical from my job, which is AAM. But I'm not mad about it. Uh, We've been on sabbatical for four months, and Howard and I, four months, all that time together, it's nice to be away. (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, So let me tell you guys a little bit about what AAM has been up to. Y has mentioned my friend Deneen and how she has, uh, she came on in March uh, in 2018, really laid some excellent foundation for AAM to continue to thrive. Uh, one of those pieces being a database. Um, our denomination doesn't really have a database that tracks people. Uh, you know, not really, and particularly not uh, African-Americans and, you know, those who are interested in seminary, those who are in seminary, those who have graduated from seminary and have been installed a place somewhere. And so uh, Denise set up something called Active Campaign, which we've been using, which has been a huge blessing to allow us to stay connected to um, all the young men and women who are coming through that sometimes, you know, just kind of fly under the radar. Uh, We also have something called virtual groups. And they were virtual groups before COVID (laughs) uh, because we wanted to have a chance to have young men who were entering into the denomination or again in seminary or about to graduate from seminary and give them kind of a, a, a community of young men like themselves to talk about the struggles, the joys, Um, have somebody kind of debrief situations with from a cultural perspective that understands them. And so we have four for men and two for women. Um, We currently have somewhere around 50 people engaged and, and being connected and encouraged through our virtual groups. Um, And that encouragement is critical to those people, uh, staying, engaged and committed to the PCA. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. So virtual groups that continue to grow, we actually just added our fourth one. 
um, and we're continuing to get, we got a wait list now for, for hopefully a fifth one that will start sometime between um, this June and next June. Our website, which I'll give you a glimpse of here in a little bit, um, if you're interested, it's www.aampca.org. Uh, we had a website, um, and we've been working with a group called Highest Good. If anybody here knows Philip Holmes, who is the VP of Institutional Communications at RTS, he also has a uh, marketing company called Highest Good. We've been working with them, and they have taken our website and made it all beautiful and dynamic and bells and whistles and modernized our look and made us more accessible um, for people when they actually come in. You can actually join AAM if you're interested in hearing and seeing what's going on. Um, you can click join AAM and you'll start receiving email updates and announcements and all kinds of things to let you know what's going on with, um, with AAM. So we're really proud of our website and um, that's been a huge move for us. Additionally, our social media presence, which was um, has been handled by Janelle Chavis, uh, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So if you're on Twitter or Instagram, look us up. We are at AAMPCA. Um, that's been an incredible tool for us, and uh, Janelle, communications and content assistant, has really, uh, we've grown in our numbers and followers for, for all of those platforms exponentially. Um, so if, you, if you're on social media, you'll see that on Mondays on Instagram, we have a Scripture Monday to start your week off with and inspire you on Mondays, and we do uh, a weekly people focus. I think um, one of the issues issues, and this is a little bit of a, an aside here, but I think, um, you know, our denomination and its history, um, 97, 98% white, when a lot of black folks join, they don't, they think they're the only one. I did. <laughs> and so when, when we have a presence on Instagram and we're constantly introducing just regular congregants. Sure, everybody knows Carl, everybody knows Irwin, everybody knows why, but there are just some regular folks showing up to good, strong, Bible-believing PCA churches, faithful to God in their churches, and we get a chance to just say, hey, here's so-and-so, meet them. You know, they're in New Haven, Connecticut. You know, they're in um, Baltimore, Maryland. And just kind of get everyone's eyes to see the presence that we actually have in the denomination. So check us out on social media. Um, we're continuing to uh, even do more with that. Pretty soon we're going to be launching Facebook groups, which will allow us to have kind of pointed um specific areas of discussion for folks to come in through Facebook and share and have come some virtual community, but some connection around that. So uh, we also, if you've been paying attention, last June through MA and our good friend Tracy Hall has invited us to uh, do these webinars, um, webcasts, I think they call them, um, uh, partnering with uh, uh, MNA, we did a, a three-part series on racial brokenness last June. 
as a um, response to uh, the murder of George Floyd and the social unrest that that created. Um, and we were really able to speak honestly, speak authentically um, in, our, in our pain and express uh, really where we were. And so that invitation from MNA just meant the world to us and the fact that they wanted to hear from us and let us lead that without having to necessarily make everybody feel good at the end of the day. Um, and so we did a three-part series and then in February of this year, <coughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, MNA also invited us to do uh, African Americans and Presbyterianism. Uh, and we have a timeline starting somewhere in the 1800s up to today of how African Americans have impacted and been involved with um, Presbyterianism um, and then moving forward uh, specifically with the PCA. So uh, you can go to MNA's website to find that, or you can go to our website to find that series and just see what, see what we did. Um, we got huge response, a lot of great feedback, and we have just been blessed to have that particular uh, ability to, to speak into some things that were happening. Um, and then a podcast, which was mentioned earlier, launched in May. It's called Between the Pew. We really wanted to focus again on just the regular congregant, not, not the superstars, but the regular folks or the superstars' wives, because a lot of times they don't get a chance <laughs> or don't want a chance uh, to have much to say, but they have a story to tell. Amen? And so we got an opportunity to interview them and have them on the podcast. And uh, our actual, our, we have a two-part series with Charles and Lance Lewis. Lance Lewis is a, uh, has been a TE here in PCA for years and years, raised his son up, his son Charles Lewis, actually. We, this is our first story of kind of generational passing on of uh, this type of leadership, was just ordained as a TE uh, a few months ago. Amen, right? And so we wanted to tell that story and encourage people. Um, while also facing, you know, the honest truth about some, sometimes it's hard to be here, you know, uh, in, in, in a denomination where we're so small of a number. Um, so that's been, we've gotten great feedback. Um, and again, the, these are things that cause people to say, hey, gosh, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one struggling with this. And I can stay here and stay committed because I know I'm not alone in it. So that's been an, a, a huge thing for us, launching a podcast, just brilliant. We, we've enjoyed it so much. And then finally, LDR Weekend. LDR stands for Leadership Development Resources. LDR is 12 years, 12, it's 10 years old. It started in 2011. I'm not going to give the history. That's why he knows the history on all of that. Um, I think I started coming to LDR somewhere around 2016 or 17. Um, but it, it, it's interesting. And people say, well, well, what is LDR? Is it a conference? So, yeah. is, is, it, is it a family reunion? Oh, so is that too? Is it a worship service? Y'all just be up in there worshiping? Yeah, that also. <laughs> so 
know, it's a little different. It's, uh, you wouldn't know it was PCA at all if you walked up in there. Um, but we have a good time, and it is a chance for us to come together as a community and to, again, have our cultural expression, which a lot of us don't get in our respective churches, and just be together, learn from one another, hear from our leaders, connect, and stay encouraged. And again, that creates longevity in the denomination. And so uh, that is the present state of AAM. I am grateful and encouraged. This is the best job I've ever had. Uh, I am super excited to be working with folks who are, have been my friends. Um, and now we get the chance to really have impact together. So thank you. Again, if you just came in, we just want to thank y'all for showing up 8 o'clock in the morning to uh, come and hear uh, what the Lord is doing with African-American ministries. Um, while it's giving you a little picture of AAM in the past, my sister Kelly has given us a picture of AAM in the present, and me as the token millennial up here today, I've gotten assigned the future, and the children are the future, apparently, so uh, I'm excited about that. Um, uh, before I do that, just a little bit of background on myself. Uh, myself, my wife Charlotte, we've actually been in the PCA actually for 13 years now, um, right fresh out of college. And uh, it was one of those situations where when we walked through the doors of the particular church we were at, uh, diversity showed up. Uh, and uh, very quickly you began to enjoy all the things that I imagine we appreciate about this denomination, the theology. Um, very quickly we fell in love with the form of church government and saw the, the benefit of plurality of leadership, the whole nine. But it does get kind of lonely uh, when you feel like you're the only one, especially when you're sensing the call, the call of God on your life to, to pursue ministry. And so I remember calling Y up. I was a school teacher at the time. And uh, it was in August of 2008 or 9, I remember, because it was the night of, um, what's the thing called, Charlotte, when all the kids come to meet their teachers for the first time? Open house. Open house. It was open house. Five minutes before I'm supposed to be meeting all these parents, and Y finally calls me back. Uh, so I was in this predicament. Do I take the call? Because I don't want to miss his call. So I was able to connect with him later that night. And he said, no, you're not the only one. There are more. And that was super encouraging. And he actually connected me with Kelly Brown and her husband, Howard Brown. And uh, it wasn't too long after that that I found myself in Charlotte as one of their interns. They raised me up well. Uh, and I, I am here this morning. Uh, and still in its denomination, just to be honest, because the Lord providentially gave me people like this to connect with uh, that can show me the way and show me that it's okay to be myself. However God created me, I can be all of me uh, for his glory in this denomination. Uh, so I just want to publicly thank you all and let you guys know how much I love y'all and how grateful I am for you. Um, I uh, got ordained about five years ago, planted West Charlotte Church in the urban West Charlotte community um, uh, about four years ago, where I currently co-pastor. And uh, as they've already shared, I, I now moonlight as the uh, interim associate coordinator right now, and I've really been enjoying that. Um, again, in many ways, I represent, I, I think, uh, the future of African-American ministries and African-Americans in this denomination. Um, I'm a slightly younger generation, and um, I am black, uh, surprise, and um, 
I'm, I'm really proud of that and really have a passion uh, as all the generations have, but I think it's in a new and specific way with both my generation millennials and the Gen Z's coming up uh, that we just have a, a burning passion to reach, um, uh, you know, our black brothers and sisters of especially the millennial and Gen Z generations. And in order to do that, um, I think the first and you know, the first and main thing we're gonna have to do as an organization in the future uh, is to continue the things that Kelly and the rest of the team have already started working on. In many ways, the things that Kelly just shared is setting us up so that we're not missing the wave, the missional wave of this millennial generation who now we're in our 30s uh, and also this Gen Z generation who the oldest of them are now starting to graduate from college. And so these are the people that are in our communities and that are going to start coming to our churches. And a lot of those platforms that we're creating right now is to make sure that we can care for them well. But in addition to those those things, we are going to need to expand some of the things uh, that we are currently doing. One thing that's uh, currently come up on our radar is just this great need uh, for consulting. Uh, there are a lot of presbyteries uh, that have a heart to reach the black people that live in their communities. And they have the cultural humility to, to know that they have no idea how to go about doing that, how to even find a planter for that, how to train up the planter in the ways that are necessary to make sure they survive and thrive and don't die on the vine as uh, some in the past have because they didn't have that support. And so we're going to need to be able uh, to create systems and structures and platforms um, and even programs and packages to offer to both presbyteries, individual churches that see that there's a missional opportunity to reach a diversity of black peoples around them and they need some guidance in that. So church planning, consulting, and coaching is something that we really want to uh, continue to, to um, uh, increase in the future. Uh, we also want to make sure uh, in the future that we are strengthening our strategic partnerships with other organizations in this denomination, whether it's with Pericaleo or whether it's with RUF, specifically the RUF campus ministers on HBCU campuses. Uh, they experience uh, a very different uh, ministry life and outreach need uh, because of the students that they are serving, uh, where just the normative mechanisms and systems of RUF uh, don't always uh, help to meet those particular needs. And we feel like we're positioned to kind of help fill in those gaps in ways that we need to. So stronger partnerships with other ministries. Um, and, and, you know, the final thing, there's a, probably a hundred things we could name up here. You start talking about things you would love to do, we could give you an endless list of things we would love to do. But one thing that's actually occupied a lot of our conversations recently, not only as AAM staff, but also just in my conversations with other black leaders in this denomination, uh, is just the age-old uh, need for more resources, like financial resources. Um, uh, it is no secret in our country uh, that, you know, black people have historically uh, been marginalized from a lot of the resources that people in uh, majority culture have had access to. Um, and that's not uh, dissimilar in this particular uh, denomination, even with our organization and with other black leaders. Our country's never lacked, um, you know, brilliant and gifted black people. Uh, black people in our country have just lacked the financial resources for that brilliance uh, to be able to reach its full potential and be a benefit for all. 
And so uh, one of the things that we desire to do is to be able to become a hub of both social and financial resources uh, to be able to equip um, some of the leaders that already exist in our denomination, black leaders, uh, but also those that will come in the ministry endeavors that the Lord is calling them to. Um, and so on that note, uh, even us as AAM, uh, we have not been immune to that unique challenge as it relates to making sure we have the resources. Uh, we both praise the Lord as why has shared that the Lord has brought this great team, this staff. But even us, we're not, you know, uh, fully funded uh, as a staff. Um, uh, most of us are volunteering a lot of our time to be able to move this forward. And so uh, just to do the things we're already doing, uh, even more so the initiatives that we have a heart to pursue, it's going to necessitate uh, that uh, we as a whole denomination see this as important and then, you know, put the money where the mouth is and um, to say that uh, we believe in this and we're, we're going to make sure that this continues not only to survive, but this ministry continues to thrive. And so uh, I think we have a video we're going to play. So she's going to hook us up with that. As she, uh, as, as my sister Kelly is uh, getting that video up, uh, it's just a summary of a lot of things that we've talked about. Um, I want you all uh, that are here, I know a lot of times at a lot of these uh, seminars, the people you're talking to are the choir, right? You're here, you saw the buffet of options that you had this morning, and you said, I'm coming to this one. So I know that the Lord has already placed a unique burden, or at least a unique interest or intrigue in your mind and heart about what are you doing, Lord, in the life of black people in this denomination. And so with that, I kind of want to fan that flame. Uh, and as this video is playing, I want you to be thinking about uh, and dare I say, even praying about as this video is playing um, about what you can do uh, personally uh, to to kind of help us in the initiatives that you have already heard. Pray, collaborate, and give. Yeah. Yes. So pray, of course. We need your prayers. Um, obviously, you know, that is the foundation for the faith is praying. Um, and now that you guys maybe are more aware of who we are, you can certainly pray for our ministry. Uh, collaborate. Um, you know, if you want to see AAM, come and do a presentation at your church or to your session. Uh, if you have uh, some multi-ethnic or cultural stuff you want to have somebody to kind of consult with and talk with, we, we'd be happy to do that. Um, and then give, you know. We uh, represent 1% of the denomination. We have 54 black teaching elders, and we have somewhere around 5,000 TEs in general. So our challenge, uh, what we're asking, is 1% uh, of your church budget. Go back to your churches and say, hey, listen, we've got 1% of these guys in here. Let's give 1% of our budget to make sure we can get to 2%. Amen. <laughs> so that's what we're asking for. And that giving is very important. Of course, that's what we're looking for from from churches uh, and individually. Absolutely. Please. Uh, you know, if you can give. We have folks who've been very faithful to AAM over the years. Um, but of course, you know, we'd like to be able to pay Charles. <laughs> Uh, we'd like to be able to have Janelle be full-time, and uh, we'd like to be able to pay Alex. And the truth is we really uh, have space to add more staff. Um, 
especially to run the virtual groups and some other things. So uh, we'd love to be able to pay for somebody to do that. But you guys, here's the, the, the one thing that um, really is important. We would love to be able to have resources to help young black men, well, not just young, I'm discriminating, to help <laughs> anybody black who's coming in who wants to intern um, at one of the churches that are black-led. Most of those churches don't have the resources to hire interns and you know, to give them some kind of funds that help them, you know, have a living wage. And so a lot of times these young men want to be with uh, uh, black teaching elders, and they, they can't. They have to go to a church that will help them pay the bills. So we get that. Um, but it's been a huge burden, a huge obstacle for us. So if we had some funds and we were able to help support these young men as they go out and go to these churches, that would be tremendous for us. So that's what we're looking for, 1%. We'll, we'll wear a sticker when you see uh, some of us in 1%, 1% of the denomination. Give us 1% of your budget. Help us get to 2%. Thank you. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces. Gifts and Graces.